Hi, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. I'm a senior director at CFGI, where I help my clients with their most important accounting and finance issues. And as most of you know, in the business world, business performance is measured by the numbers. So savvy leaders often understand that there's usually more to the story there. So welcome to Behind the Numbers, where we go a little bit deeper to understand what matters most in business. Today, we're going to be talking about purposeful leadership. And my guest today is an executive coach, but I want you to know that the topic that we're going to be talking about today extends well beyond the C-suite, and this is applicable advice and tips and good guidance for anybody inside an organization. And I'm pleased to welcome Alan Prussian to Behind the Numbers. Alan, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. That's great to have you. Tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then let's jump in. Sure. So I'm an executive coach. That's really just a title, but I work with CEOs who understand that in order to achieve the objectives they're trying to accomplish in their business, that they need to give power away which is another way to say that they need to give the authority to others within the organization to actually deliver on the intended outcomes that they're accountable for. Got it, thank you. Great intro. Let's, let's talk about, um, right off the top here, you're known for building a culture of reciprocating authority. Yes. What is that and why does it matter? Yeah, so if you think about any executive, CEO or otherwise, the thing that they want most is trust and respect of the people that they're leading, right? And in order to get something like that, which is pretty significant, you actually, I believe, should give it away, right? So if I work for you and you want trust and respect, it's actually you should be giving me trust and respect and then I reciprocate it back to you. And then it creates what I call a virtuous so circle where we're giving and receiving trust and respect, not just between each other, but the others that we interact with throughout the organization. Yeah, and this is true not just for CEOs, true, right? This is for like managers, with anybody who's working with teams or has somebody reporting into them. Or I believe with them. this were, first of all, I believe the most important uh, leadership position in any organization is the first level leader because they actually lead the largest number of people in an organization, right, if you think about it, the, the line workers. Yeah. And yes, I believe that this philosophy and methodology is applicable throughout an organization from the C-suite all the way to the first level manager. Got it, so I understand how important trust is and there's been a lot written about the impact of trust on an organization for a whole host of things and productivity uh, not being uh, being certainly one of the important ones, but when you talk about giving away trust, where's the balancing line? Because I think so many folks may be hardwired to think that, I'll maybe give you a little bit of trust, but you need to earn that trust. Yeah, well, what do you say to that? It's very interesting. If you think about when we hire people, we look for really skilled people in a particular domain. And then we bring them into our organization and try and make them conform to the way we do things around here. So we all, we, it's almost like, and I hate to use this term, it's almost like we get this really skilled individual and then we neuter them, yeah. right? And so the truth is, if you hire someone who's highly skilled, and I don't know anybody who said, oh, listen, I'm going to hire this person. Not really great, but I'm going to hire them, right? So they're hiring people that they believe in. So if you believe in them, then you start from trust. I believe you start from trust and then you allow their, what you experience of the work they've, they've done, that they're doing for you to determine how much trust you should continue to give or maybe need to pull back a little bit. So is it trust but verify? Well, of course. <laughs> You're a numbers guy. You can't ver not verify, right? You have to verify. I can't blindly trust you. And that's true of everyone. Even a CEO has verification of the numbers, right? They're accountable to a board, sure. whether they're publicly traded or not. They're accountable to somebody. Right. So yes, you always have to verify. 
Okay. So then what's the message for that cynic that's out there that says, you know what, again, flat out, I can't give that away. There's a certain way that we do things here. I need to know that they're going to, to your point, conform first. Yeah, well. Change I, their thinking. Well, they're, they're I, listening and watching I, right I would say it's a bankrupt model. That's the first thing I would say. Um, and I have plenty of evidence of the fact that the model that I'm talking about works. And I, you know, you said that this works not just the C-suite, and I said and I confirmed that that it works throughout the organization. Before we came on air, we were talking about our children and parenting. The truth is, this works with parenting. Yeah. Why? Because we're talking about a relationship between two human beings. So to that person who says, "Yeah, but I, I need to," they need to earn it, or or I get to prove it first. I was like, wait, is that the environment that you want to be working in? Is that the world that you want to operate in? Because I bet you they'll say, oh, no, no, I want to, I want to have the authority. I want people to trust me. Well, why is it any different for anyone else? Yeah. Right? So I don't know anybody who goes to work wanting to do a lousy job and not wanting to be trusted. And we're going to talk about the impact of, of this in a little bit, but I want to unpack a little bit further um, your process. You alluded to it, sure. but let, let's talk about what is the process. Yeah, so the culture of reciprocating authority is based upon a few principles, right? So first and foremost, there's three principles. Number one is the purpose of any business is to profitably serve humans. I don't care what the product or service is, you're serving the interest of people. Number two, it is called a business because we actually do have to make a profit, and the purpose of profit is to perpetuate the purpose of the business. If we don't make money, we can't keep doing it, right? And then there's the purpose of leadership. So leaders' responsibility is to inspire those that they lead and to energize the purpose of the business. That's the leader's responsibility. Can you say that one more time? Uh, yeah. Folks watching and listening, pay attention to this one. Yeah. One more time. So, so the leader's responsibility throughout the organization, yeah. whether I'm a first level manager or the CEO and everyone in between, their responsibility is to inspire those we lead and to energize the purpose of the business. Now let's unpack that a little bit more. Yeah. What does inspire mean? Actually, if you look up the word inspire in the dictionary, it means breathe life into, right? Too often we talk about leadership in a, in a corporate setting and we think in terms of, well, I manage this person. No, you don't manage the person. You manage things. You manage projects. You don't manage people. You inspire people. That's, that's the job of a leader, right? To, yeah. And yes, as we said, you need to verify you know, the work that they're doing. Absolutely. That's the management part. Yeah, and that's, that's a mind shift, right? Because I think we've all worked for leaders who... Um, relied on motivation, you know, the carrot stick kind yes. of thing. And I think uh, hopefully folks have had an opportunity to work for the better leaders who have inspired them. And I know for me personally, in working with those kinds of leaders that created the inspiration, yeah, I'd, I'd walk through fire for them. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and when you said that, it reminded me of uh, Keith, who I worked with for a number of years. And I remember, uh, you know, as I got towards the end of my tenure with him, I said, I feel bad that I come to you with these issues because I know you're going to say yes to what I'm proposing. He said, yeah, but you got to do it so I can have your back. He said, I trust you and I know you're going to do the right thing, but I do it. You have to come to me because I have to have your, trust your, have your back if something yeah. was to go wrong. We were client-facing, so clients could you know, reach back into the organization. And, uh, but, but I had his unquestioned trust, and I was allowed to. I knew what my parameters were. I knew what I was accountable for delivering, and I knew where I could push and where I couldn't, and yeah. I did my job, and I was highly successful, and he, got, he reaped the benefits of that as well as I did. 
Yeah, Alan, for folks watching and listening, if they want to learn more about you or how they might work with you, how can they contact yeah, you? Yeah, so that's a great question. Thank you for that. So it's really quite simple. I have a website, as you can imagine. It's Alan Prussian, A-L-A-N-P-R-U-S-H-A-N.com. And on that uh, website, there is a contact page. If you click on the contact button, it'll take you to a page. And you can literally either email me or call me through there, or you can actually schedule time to uh, set up a conversation with me right online. Great. Alan, are there symptoms that organizations can point to so that they would recognize that this is a problem that needs to be resolved? I mean, how, how does it get into the, the mindset of an organization that what you're bringing to the table is a solution? Yeah, so I think it's uh, less about, I, I think the, it, it, it's not organizational as much as it is an individual. So a leader, it could be the CEO, but it could be the, the CFO or the chief information yeah. officer or something, actually is experiencing a certain level of discontent with what's happening in the business, right? They're not producing the results that they're committed to producing, and they know something's not working and they can't quite put their finger on what it is. So it really is, uh, I'll say, a level of discontent coupled with what I call a humble leader. So, yeah. you know, the leader's gotta be humble enough to say, wait, I, I don't have all the answers, and oh, by the way, it might make sense for me to seek the, the counsel of somebody from outside the organization to give me an unfettered view of what's actually happening inside my business. Yeah, is turnover one of those symptoms that might <coughs> Well, it sure should be. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, and today's world, you know, we have very low uh, unemployment, so the, the hiring, it's very hard to find really good people. And so if you're turning your good people, that should be a big red flag. Yeah, so a lot of times turnover is perceived as more of an organizational problem than the problem with the leader per se. Yeah, well, <clears throat> you know, uh, you could look at it a different way. Large organizations frequently do uh, annual reviews and they review bosses and certain bosses get much better reviews than others. And, uh, and a good organization should take that seriously. Yeah. What, you probably heard this, Dave. People join organizations and they leave their boss. Oh yeah, there's a lot of statistics out there. Anywhere between 50 and 80% of people who leave a position are quitting their boss, not their job. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. oftentimes at, the, at their chagrin because they like the organization, they just can't stand working for that person anymore. Right, exactly. We only have a couple of minutes left in this segment, but you touched on something there when you mentioned the external resource. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's difficult internal. Sometimes it's a lot of group think. Sometimes <clears throat> you're just blinded. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, Talk a little bit about why it's important to bring in an external resource to look at these things. Well, first of all, external resources always have a different way of looking at things, right? So one way that I look at things that the average executive doesn't look at things is that an organization is nothing more than a bunch of people having a conversation. So if you want to alter how the organization's performing, you actually have to inspect the conversations that people are having. That's foreign, most people don't think that way in business, okay? Yeah. So, wait a second, the conversation we have can determine what we're doing here? Yes, in fact, that's exactly what happens every day, only you're not even aware of it, you're unconscious to it completely. So, an external resource actually, just like these lights, illuminates something that wasn't visible to us before. Once it's visible, now we can have, take a different action, yeah. right? If I don't see something, I'm not gonna behave any differently. 
fair point. I think that's a great stop point to take a quick break. So for folks back in the production room, we're going to pause for commercial right here, and we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Alan Prussian. I work 13 hours a day, six days a week. So when I'm off the clock, I got to get stuff done. So when I need a snack, I need something healthy, tasty, and easy to eat. Like wonderful pistachios without the shells. They're protein-powered, delicious, and great on the go. And that's perfect for me. Thanks, Liz. A woman without a lot of time. Whether you're a gourmet cook or just want to eat like one, visit Rostelli Market Fresh, your home for the freshest locally sourced ingredients to please everyone who loves great food. Our organic meats, quality seafood, and free-range poultry are cut fresh to order. Chefs create culinary-inspired prep foods made fresh every day, which pair nicely with our vast selection of fine wines and spirits. Choose from handmade pastas, artisan cheeses, organic produce, and grocery items, all from the finest purveyors. Rostelli Market Fresh, from our family to yours. RVN TV is a platform for people of any industry to share their story. Over 285,000 viewers are tuning in to RVN TV shows monthly. We guarantee a great experience that you'll be sharing with everyone you know while increasing your personal and company's brand awareness. But what is your brand? According to Forbes, it's a combination of your logo, your product, your design and feel, and your personality. Did you know that aside from being a guest, we offer even more opportunity to boost your brand? Adding your company logo and website on screen during your interview will allow viewers to recognize your brand instantly. Incorporating images and video clips is another great way to showcase your product during your live segment. Let viewers see how good you really are. And most importantly, there's you and your interview. For less than the cost of a newspaper, direct mail, or a magazine. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about purposeful leadership with Alan Prussian. Uh, Alan, we covered a lot of ground in the first segment, but I, I thought it would be great to start the second segment by talking about your background, yep. um, which is rather unique. Yes, yes it is. So I, I do have a finance degree. Um, however, when I look back, what I noticed is the two courses I enjoyed most were quantitative analysis, which is really around business problem solving, and sociology, so go figure, right? Um, but in addition to that, I'm a certified behavioral analyst and also uh, well-versed in a, um, a philosophy called ontology, which is the study in nature of beings, because you and I are human beings, right? And so I bring a unique perspective to my clients because I'm not a therapist, although I have the behavioral background. I'm not just an executive who's done that before, right? I'm somebody that brings a breadth of um, capabilities and mindset. And I've done all my business work in multiple industries. I never was an industry specialist. So I don't come into a client's industry saying, I know your industry. In fact, I don't necessarily know your industry because that's not what I help them with. Yeah. And I wanted to tease that out of you because I think it's important for people to understand this unique background that you have yeah. and the insight you can provide. In the first segment, we alluded to the importance of conversation. Yep. How important is language in choosing your words? Yeah. So I can't understate the importance of it. And uh, 
it's so interesting. I, I saw YouTube not long ago, a magician, and he, what, what's the word that a magician says right before? Abracadabra. Abracadabra. And they looked up, he, he did research with a university as to where's the origin and what does it mean. And what abracadabra means is I create what I say. Think about that. Yeah. A magician saying, I create what I say. I'm going to say the rabbit's going to come out of the hat and the rabbit comes out of the hat. But guess what? It applies to you and I, right? And to everybody who's in business. Literally, we can create what we say. So if we're not careful, we're going to create that which we don't want. And it is that simple that, oh, and look, if you look at any really successful person, those in, you know, especially people like individual performers, like athletes or actors or something yeah. like that, they'll say, oh, I always knew I wanted to do this. I had a vision for this, right? They created what they said, and they just said it earlier than you and I. Yeah, and sloppy communication, or just inadvertently sloppy. For example, I was talking with someone the other day, and they were facilitating a group conversation and wanted to be uh, doing an icebreaker segment, right. and asked everyone in the room, what's on your refrigerator door? Right. And there was a perception, at least among a lot of people, that she was speaking about external, like magnets and right. artwork. And somebody actually said, well, I, I thought you meant inside on the door where I keep my milk. And the aha there was it wasn't really defined clearly. It was open for interpretation. And she yep. did that deliberately. Yes. Yeah. And that's what happens, right, is that we put in our own meaning to anything people say. So we have to be real particular. I have a client recently who said, made the comment to me in a coaching conversation, yeah, well, our client took advantage of us. I said, wait, time out. Who gave them the pricing? He said, we did. I said, and did they sign your contract? And they said, yeah. And I said, so how did they take advantage of you? He's like, uh, well, they didn't. I said, you're right, they didn't. <laughs> I said, now, you could tell me that that wasn't good pricing and it wasn't profitable business and you learned that and you raised your price and all that, but the client didn't take advantage of you. Right. Okay. Well, that creates a world. If you start creating a world that your clients are taking advantage of you, that's not a really good position to be in. Yeah, that victim state of mind uh, is bad in general, but particularly in client service, if you think your clients are taking advantage of you. Yeah, and listen, yeah. this is a, a, a growing, a, a, a emerging company, and they're trying to figure out their pricing model. Yeah. And, you know, we all learn through that process, right? But don't, per, don't actually push it on your client. You've just got to own it, right? Show's called Behind the Numbers, Alan. Yes. But when we talk about topics like this, I like to go into the numbers so Terrific. that the, the audience can understand that there really is an ROI for these kinds of concepts yes. that, are, that are generally squishy, if you will, in nature. So what's been your experience? What's been the return on investment for clients who've adopted this mindset and this approach of reciprocating authority? So I don't think the numbers are quite as squishy as people might want to believe they, they are. Um, I was brought into an organization, it was a publicly traded, about a $45 million uh, medical technology company. So they became public early, right? And the CFO recognized that in order to grow rapidly, they were at that point where they were gonna start to really ramp up growth, mm -hmm. okay, significantly. And he recognized that he needed a solid infrastructure to support that growth and also one that would not require them to continue to increase their staff at an exponential rate to support the growth, right? That's where profitability comes from, right? And uh, so they had to upgrade their ERP system and I was brought in to help them do that. And uh, they were several generations behind 
and I don't know, you've probably heard about how software upgrades go. Oh yeah, been thrown. How, how do they usually go? Not well. Yeah, they not, well what does not well mean? A lot of downtime. Okay, a lot of downtime. So you're looking at it from the user's perspective, yes. right? From the from the executive's perspective, it's usually look like it took longer than expected. It cost us more money than we wanted, right? Uh, but we eventually got there, but it was very painful, right? Right. That's usually what happens. So they this group it was about nine people, with the executive champion being the CFO, was put together to. They made two promises to the CFO. We're going to upgrade to the 2016 version, and we're going to implement um, EDI on the back end so they, they could receive their orders electronically and not have to manually input them. And literally, right out of the gate, they got some bad feedback from, no, excuse me, feedback that could be viewed as negative by the team, uh, which said, oh, you should upgrade to 2018, not 2016. Oh, well, wait a second. So now they felt they had to do all this analysis. And we, I coached them, and I said, listen, you got two weeks to figure out what you're going to do because you're not missing that deadline. And they decided to, to re-promise to deliver on, on the 2018 version. That project was delivered on time and under budget with no disruption to the business. Hmm. Okay, and when I talked to the CFO afterwards, and they promised, by the way, a four-month delivery time, so it wasn't like a really long time. He said to me, this was remarkable because I, had it, I was going to be happy with a six- to eight-month delivery, and he got it in four. Wow. And under budget. Nice. Okay, that's, that's numbers. Now, why is it numbers? Yes, they save money on the budget, but what is, what's the cost of those nine people not working two to four extra months oh. to execute that initiative? Yeah, opportunity cost is huge. It's huge, right? But we don't usually do the math on those things. But that's simple. You take their salaries times two or four months, and boom, you get a number. Right. And they're, they're getting redeployed onto some other initiative at that point. Very good. Alan, how can people learn more about you, contact you, et cetera? What's the best way to reach you? Yeah, so uh, go to my website, alanprussian.com, A-L-A-N-P-R-U-S-H-A-N.com. Click on the contact link, and you can call me, email me, or schedule an appointment directly with me there. Great. We only have a few minutes left. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you for some tips, if you will, for the folks listening who may be in different levels of an organization, but they're going to come yep. in in some leadership role, maybe a manager, and they're going to be inheriting a legacy team. Yeah. And perhaps this team has loyalty to the person that preceded them. What's your advice for, for these leaders who are coming in and inheriting teams? Yeah, well, we all do that, right? At some point in time, you switch roles and or the first time you become a leader, you know, somebody else was there before you more often than not, right? The first and foremost thing, I believe, is you got to determine who do I want to be as a leader, right? So it's not outward facing, it's inward facing. Like, what do you want to be known as, right? And I, for me, it was simple. I, I had two, two objectives. I wanted to be known as someone who delivered results and somebody who was capable of developing people who worked for me. And, uh, you know, I had a story, Keith, I mentioned earlier, brought me into his office one day and he said, you know, one of your employees complained about you again. And I said, okay, what, what did you do? He said, I asked them who else you'd want to work for. And they said, nobody. And he looked at me, he goes, how do you do that? How do you upset people, but they don't want to work for anybody else? I said, that's a great question. Did you ask them? And he said, I did. What was the answer? The answer was, well, I'll learn more from Alan than I would ever learn from anyone else. Right? So to me, I was successful. Yeah, I was also accountable because I wanted to deliver results. So I'm accountable to deliver results to my boss. 
and I made an accountable organization. People don't always like operating in an accountable organization. It's kind of uncomfortable. But guess what? When you get used to it, you're like, wait, I'm responsible for something. I got to deliver on it. Yeah, that's a great point. I've seen too many times where new leaders come in and just immediately want to uh, implement rules that, that they believe in before they even know who their players are, so to speak. Yeah, well, that, that doesn't work. And by the way, good for people, I guess, who work for me. I'm not a big rule follower. So, you know, it's kind of back to our children's story. Uh, I, when I raised my kids, I had very few rules. So anytime that they broke the rule or that we were setting down a law and they resisted, I would say to them, how many rules do we have? And they said, not many. And I'm like, okay, so I want you to follow these. <laughs> and it was an easy conversation, so the few right? few rules were the important ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and work is no different because if I want to trust and respect you, I, I've got to give you a runway to do your job. That's a great way to bring it full circle. I want to ask you one more thing because uh, we have a couple of minutes left in this. And that sure. is, we have a lot of folks who listen who are entrepreneurs or budding yes. entrepreneurs. And you took the leap from corporate America into yes. an entrepreneurial role. Talk about that. What inspired you and what have you learned along the way? Uh, well, I've done it a few times. So this isn't my first foray. Uh, so I've had other uh, business situations. Uh, listen, I, I just said it. I'm not, I'm not a big rule follower. I learned a lot in the corporate world, but the, the constraint of rules really didn't work for me, uh, which is why I went out on my own multiple times. And, uh, you know, for me, it's about authenticity, right? Who, who am I in the world for myself and, and how do I occur for others? And when I did that research and really looked, we look with our eyes, which is different than thinking with our brain, by the way. When I look back at my life and I, all the jobs I took, what I did there, what enabled me to be successful and how people see me, what I saw is who I am, how I occur for people as coach. And it made it easy for me to actually make that transition because it was an authentic expression of who I am. That's a great story because it's certainly a risky proposition. Yes, I mean, it is risky, but you know, I'm a big believer if, if you do what comes naturally, you're going to be pretty darn good at it. And if you're good at something, you'll probably make a good living. Great advice. Alan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for Today having we, me. We've been talking about purposeful leadership with Alan Prussian. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, please hit the subscribe button on whatever medium that you're watching or listening on right now. My name is Dave Bookbinder. If you'd like to learn more about me, you can reach me via LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. And we will see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.